there are standard operating procedures in place, that helps keep everyone's emotions on a more even keel note. And I find that if we can keep emotions de-escalated, the departures tend to go a lot more smoothly for both sides. You're listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Each episode, your host, author, and lawyer coach, Steve Fretzen, will take a deeper dive, helping you grow your law practice in less time with greater results. Now, here's your host, Steve Fretzen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Be That Lawyer. I am the host, Steve Fretzen. I'm just so happy you're with us today. Another opportunity to be that lawyer, someone who is confident, organized, and a skilled rainmaker. It's my job and my goal every single time you come to this show that you're going to get some tips and takeaways that are going to affect the way that you run your law practice, that you live your life, and just continue to make it better and better and better. So if that's happening, then please give us a kind review on your Apple phone or wherever you're picking up this podcast. And don't be shy about telling other attorneys about it. I don't think we want to be the best kept secret in town. That's like a lawyer saying, hey, I'm the best lawyer around, but no one knows about me. We got to get the word out about this show, everybody. All right. So let's get on it. And I want to introduce my guest in a moment, but we have a quote of the show from Tina. Tina, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? Good. Good to see you. We had such a wonderful chat, uh, not just before we went on today, but just our last meeting when we knew some people in common and who connected us and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Was it Jonathan Friedland? It was. The famous, famous Jonathan Friedland. Uh, so shout out to Jonathan. And your quote of the show is, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So that's kind of interesting. What? So do you know who said that? Is that? Did you come up with that? So I came up with that. It's a variant off of a quote. But I always tell my clients in this arena, that's what you want to do. You know, we we want to plan for the worst and hope for the best. And I think if that's how you conduct yourselves in this arena, you tend to do very well. So, and the, and the arena being litigation disputes, things like of that nature. Yes, as well as what we're here to talk about today, Steve, which is, you know, individuals, be they equity partners, income partners, counsel, who may be considering a lateral move to another firm. Yeah. And we're going to get into that. And you're not a recruiter, which is normally the way that recruiters start you know, the show with me is talking about, you know, what you just kind of said, you know, helping them prepare and, and for that ultimate move if they're going to make it. But we're going to have a little different twist on that today because that's not what you do. We're going to hear about that in a moment. Tina Solis is with Nixon Peabody and their litigation group partner with the firm. And give us your background and kind of how you came to be. And of course, you know, I love to hear your be that lawyer tipping point. So don't don't miss that. Sure. I'll try to keep it short and sweet, Steve. I think I have known for a very long time that I wanted to be an attorney, probably back till about the time I was six years old. And so for me, graduated from University of Iowa, took the summer off and then went straight into law school and thought I was going to do M&A. I was all about, you know, business law. I wanted to do transactions. And then second year, I was chosen random in a lottery, and I was selected to work in our legal clinic, which you're allowed to do your second year. And I got the opportunity, which I'm absolutely grateful for, to do a couple of trials under the supervision of my professors in Iowa, 
You can practice without having a law degree if you're supervised by your law professors. And we had some successful outcomes. I did a family dispute, and then I also did a bankruptcy dispute. And the minute I got inside the courtroom, it was game over. I love the adrenaline rush. I love the idea of packaging all the information and telling the story. And I was hooked. So I immediately switched to the litigation side of the table, finished up my third year classes. And, you know, now almost a quarter of a century later, here I am still doing litigation. Yeah. It's funny, you know, litigators, they're, they're a unique breed. My father actually did both. Larry, the lawyer, he did both. He did everything. But I think he loved, loved, loved the, the courtroom. I think he loved the, 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 he loved to teach. And I think he loved to solve problems and loved, especially in a public forum, right? To get that, get that credit. He was not afraid yeah. of his credit. But it's funny, I was in the loop. I don't know, this is before COVID. And I was in a building on LaSalle Street and I got into an elevator and the elevator door was closing. And I didn't even have a chance to push the hold open button. And a guy walks up and he just jams his whole arm into the elevator. I mean, it was like maybe two or three inches to close. He jammed his arm in there and he gets in. I look at him, I go, litigator? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know? I go, you just jammed your arm into an elevator. Could have taken it right off. He goes, well, no, I, I've been in this building a while. I go, well, then it was a lucky guess. And he knew the elevators. Anyway, so, so crazy. I, I may have been accused of doing that once or twice myself. Okay, okay. Well, it helps, by the way, helps to know the elevator system in your building if you're going to do that kind of uh, craziness. But um, so you're, so you're, but you're not just a litigator. You're in a very specific niche and lawyers need to know you and they need to know about you because similar to having a great recruiter on your team, you're helping lawyers in a way that maybe they didn't even realize they needed help. Can you, can you share that a little bit? Sure. So I do operate in a rather unique space. And I, I do think there's only a few people nationwide because I sort of know the players in Serena. But what I do is I work with recruiters and with attorneys, no matter what level they're at. And I give them guidance and counseling on their fiduciary and ethical obligations in connection with moving from one law firm to the next. And in addition to the counseling on the ethical and fiduciary piece, I also help structure the deals for my lateral clients that are moving, something that the recruiters can't do because they can't really practice law. And oftentimes their relationships are with the firms that they're working with. And so I give the legal advice on the professional liability side, but then I also help with a lot of just the logistics, the do's, the don'ts, you know, what should you be asking for in cop and benefits? So it is a very strange niche area, but I absolutely love it. And I've been doing it now for, boy, 20 plus years. So almost since the beginning of my practice. Yeah, I think it's just, it's such a unique area. And I, if I'm being honest, since I'm not a lawyer, I didn't really know that that existed, that this this type of role, I mean, I, I understand the anxiety a lawyer has when they're leaving because of all the technical aspects they have to go through where, you know, they don't want to mess up the client relationships with the firm and who they can take and who they can't and what's, you know, how they're legally obligated to, to, to protect the firm and themselves and the client comes first and all that. So, what are some of the general angsts and anxieties that lawyers have when they're in a position where they think, hey, you know what? I've built a book. I think this platform isn't right for me, or I'm not happy with the culture, or this firm just got bought and I'm not thrilled with the new management. 
and I need to start getting my ducks in a row. What, what's start with what, kind of what are they worried about in making that jump? Sure. I think the primary concern is the client relationships. What can I do? When can I tell the clients? What can I tell them? What can't I tell them? Because as lawyers, obviously, our fiduciary obligation, while we have that obligation to our partners and to our law firms, we also have that obligation to the client. And in terms of prioritizing, the client's obligation wins out. So that's all always a preeminent concern to them. But then it's also all of the other aspects that go into a move. You know, what if there are other partners I want to speak with? What about if there are other associates that I rely upon for my practice? Can they move with me? If so, when can I talk to them? What can I talk to them about? Same thing with personal assistance or legal assistance. And so it's not only the who can I talk to, what can I say and when, but then it's also more mundane things. You know, I have CLEs that I drafted. Can I take those with me? And then obviously another important piece for partners is, is there anything in my partnership agreement that I need to be made aware of? And for equity partners, return of capital is also top of mind as well. So there's a whole host of issues that I have confronted and we could probably spend this entire podcast just talking about those anecdotes, but that those are a few. Yeah, and I'm assuming that the lawyer might think they can handle, you know, reviewing their partnership agreement and 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 understand how that you know works or doesn't work, whatever. Is that not the case? They need a specialist. So I, sorry, what I've found is that it's usually very helpful to have someone who has seen hundreds and hundreds of partnership agreements like I have, because oftentimes, I mean, much like I'm not a real estate attorney. So if I have a real estate transaction, I don't do it myself. I hire a real estate attorney. And I think what I've found from my clients is while they're all very high level, well-respected attorneys, it's just not their niche area. So they don't know what to look for. You know, they don't know to look for is there a clawback provision with regard to payment of comp or bonus? What is the capital return? What's the notice period required? Is there a confidentiality provision in there that they need to be aware of? There's just a whole host of things that based on my experience, I can quickly zero in on and say, we need to be thinking about X, Y, and Z as you're planning the timing and sequencing of your departure. Yeah, and that's a good lead into how does someone prepare for a departure? I mean, what are like the ducks they need to put in a row to prepare for that kind of a move? Great question. So first of all, I think timing is essential. And one of the things that I always ask my clients right out of the box is, where are you in the year-end pay cycle? Have you been compensated fully for your prior year's work? Because if you haven't, that brings an extra layer of complexity into the move. So that's the first thing. The, you know, the second thing is, how does this fit in with your current workload? We're always busy. I know there's never a perfect time to consider a move. But if you're a litigator and you have a trial coming up in six weeks, probably not the time to be reaching out and thinking about a lateral move. So I really try to look at big picture first, and I think it's important for everyone to know 
the process takes a few months, and it's also dependent on the economic environment. It depends on the type of practice you have. So, you know, this is something that you should plan on it taking at least several months, and you need to be thinking about that because it's a very methodical process, and sequencing is very important. So, you know, pl plan several months in advance. And then is, are, are there particular people at the firm that you can talk to about this before you do it? Or is that a no-no? Do you have to keep it really quiet and then like, like lay it all out on the day that you're leaving with a box? Or like, so what, talk, to, talk through like the actual process a lawyer would go through and, and how to do it in a way that's going to that's gonna work, maybe work for everybody. Sure. So start out with the caveat. Each state has different rules, but generally... At a high level, the first thing that I would recommend if you're considering a lateral move is obviously speak to a recruiter. There are a lot of great recruiters out there that can be helpful. And second of all, get counsel and get counsel early on in the process because the closer you do it to the move, sometimes you've made missteps that you can't unwind. But in terms of who you can talk to at the firm, generally speaking, if you're a partner, you can talk to other partners about a potential move. However, if you are counsel or you're an associate, you shouldn't be talking to anyone else about a move besides your recruiter and your own attorney. And certainly if you're a partner, you can't be speaking to associates or staff members, only other partners. Then I always get the follow-up question, does it matter if you're an income partner receiving you know, a W-2 or K-1 or an equity partner. And the case law does not distinguish between equity partners and income partners. So, so long as you have that partner title, you could talk to one another. But again, I would urge you to be cautious with that because this is your career at stake here and very important to make sure you're putting your career first. And so this isn't typically something you're going to publicize. Yeah, that's really great information. Did you know that 36% of potential clients would take their business elsewhere if they had a bad call experience? Roll out the red carpet for your callers and website visitors with experienced and professional Money Penny receptionists. Our awesome team, super powered by technology, will get to know your business inside out so they can answer calls and respond to web chats exactly as if part of your team. Start your free trial by quoting the name Fretson and get started today with Money Penny. With the help of Practice Panther, our office is more efficient than ever. We now provide an even higher level of service to our clients. I've collaborated with Practice Panther for years and I'm always hearing from happy customers just like that one. Practice Panther wants to save you up to eight hours every week and I want to save you money. All my listeners can get an exclusive discount, 50% off your first three months. Learn how your firm can boost productivity with automated workflows, custom intake, and native e-payments by visiting practicepanther.com slash be that lawyer to discover more and claim this deal. Legalese Marketing is not your traditional marketing vendor. Instead, we're a true fractional CMO that helps you save time and spend your money the right way to build the practice of your dreams. We help through the entire process from customizing your intake system to driving leads and even getting more reviews afterwards. Schedule your free call at LegalEaseMarketing.com. The word on the street the last couple of years has been how people have been jumping ship 
for money, right? I mean, there was a, there was the COVID whole situation where the market just went nuts and lawyers were getting, you know, they they're making two hundred thousand, they go somewhere for do the exact same job and get two seventy five. Okay, just as an ex- one example, there's you know, I'm sure thousands out there. So what is that? why a lawyer should leave is that is that what you're seeing is is the main reason lawyers leave and, and want to go to a different firm or is there other main reasons why that why they would do it not just the money sure so i think you're right beginning of covid it was a lot about the demand and money but what i'm seeing today and probably in the last 6 to 8 months is a little bit different what i'm seeing right now currently and this ebbs and flows But one of the primary reasons that people move is the platform. You know, for example, you get to a level and you've built a book of business and maybe you've outgrown the firm or maybe the firm has made a strategic decision that it's shifting in a different direction, sort of away from the type of practice that you do in order to specialize. And you think, well, you know, my current firm is drifting away from that, but firm X, Y, and Z, that's one of their strategic initiatives. They're known for that. And so platform is always something that is usually top of the list as to why people are considering a move. I'm also seeing in a lot more in the last few years, culture as well is playing a very important role. So it's not always just for the money. You know, my take on it was people are leaving for the money but they're not leaving a culture for the money. They're leaving a bad culture for the money, right? But they're not leaving a good culture where all their friends are and they, they have a passion for the people in the work and they're doing charity together and they're having, you know, they're, they're whatever. It's a family. They're not leaving that for the money. So I think there, there was a whole uprising about people leaving for the money. Well, yeah, because the firm that, that they left wasn't really doing everything. And I know that some lawyers are really opposed to like culture schmulture, like, you know, I don't, I don't deal with that. Like, I just want to, can't we just go back and just run the business and work hard and make money? And I'm like, I don't know that that's, that you can put the toothpaste back in the tube on that. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think culture is becoming more and more important, which is a little bit ironic given that a lot of firms are still in hybrid work schedules. But I really do think the culture is important. And I think it's something that has continued to be emphasized and has been you know, sort of the glue that allows firms to stick together in a hybrid culture. So I think you're right. If people like the culture, they don't leave for money. But if there's more money on the table and maybe the culture isn't satisfying to them, they're probably absolutely going to look at those other options. And I think some of what dictates culture, obviously leadership, and then the other part of it is compensation and benefits. I think that's become not just the money, but what are the benefits? What What's happening here that's going to provide for my family, that's going to allow me to take time away and enjoy life and get the balance. Because I think that's the big COVID aha moment was, you know, we, we're working too damn hard and we need some balance. So. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's it's interesting because one of the things that I do in addition to the counseling aspect on what you can and can't do is oftentimes a client will say to me when they're considering a move, they get several offers. And they say, Tina, do an apples to apples comparison, not only on the money aspect of this, but also on the benefits aspect of this, because lots of firms, you know, today, their insurance or third parties that they're working with provide, you know, baby babysitting services and emergency situations. 
Um, they assist if there is a long-term illness for a family member or, you know, maybe someone in your family who is a bit elderly. And there, so there's all sorts of things that law firms are doing over and above gym memberships, you know, health initiatives that give bonus points. And then you can get swag for, you know, with the law firm logo on it, if you get so many points, there's all sorts of things that I think law firms are doing to try to be competitive, to try to provide that culture. And I think it's really important. And, and I think for, you know, some of the younger members in this profession, they are really prioritizing that and that becomes a big factor in the equation when they're deciding which law firm to join so that's certainly something else that i help out with yeah and i'm curious i just i'm just this is more i did i'm throwing something at you that we absolutely didn't discuss ahead of time not that we have discussed much but is do you have like what's the craziest thing that you've seen as it relates to like a contract or something that someone was in where they just they couldn't get out or they couldn't leave because of something. So I will give you one anecdote, obviously, without divulging any names or any privilege situation. But I had a situation where I had a client and the firm had not elevated him to partner. They had elevated him to counsel and they had put him in a firm contract and the notice provision to leave the current firm had a notice provision that was four times as long as the notice provision in the partnership agreement. So an equity partner in that firm only had to give 30 days notice and this poor counsel had to give notice four times as long. Oh my. And they didn't want to let him go. He had another job in which he was going to be receiving a material amount of additional compensation. So it made sense for him to move. And he was also going to be elevated into a partner title. And that I had to work with that firm's general counsel and we finally negotiated a resolution. But I just I, I said to the general counsel, I said, This is outrageous. How are you trying to hold someone who's not even a named partner longer <laughs> than you would hold an equity partner who has money invested in your firm? Yeah. So that was a bit of kind of tricky one that I had not seen before. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, other things that I've seen, you name it, Steve, and <laughs> I've probably seen it. So <laughs> Well, Linda, I want to take things on a, just real quick before we wrap up. We've got a few minutes. Let's think of this from a different perspective. We've been talking about this. This whole conversation has really been from the lawyer's perspective. And I work with a lot of managing partners in my Rainmaker roundtables, and they get very frustrated when someone's leaving and maybe doesn't handle it right. Maybe does. But what could law firm managers be doing better to either keep the relationship with that attorney so when the attorney leaves, there's still ability to share work? or to maybe keep them so they don't leave? Do they have to come over the top with the money? Or are there other things that maybe they should be looking back at they have to, they should be improving now? So much like yourself, the strange thing is I have lots of relationships with managing partners at other firms because lots of firms use me routinely when they're bringing on new lawyers Yeah, because they want to know that the lateral who is joining them is represented. It makes them feel better because they know the person who's leaving is going to do it the right way. And what I 
thing they can do, and many of them have done this, is they can have their GC familiarize himself or herself in terms of no one likes to see a lawyer leave. We just don't like it as a firm. But you can also familiarize yourself and have your other managers know this area of the law. So you try to do it as amicably as possible because the ones that go well, and most of the time, the firm that is that my client is leaving, most of the time that firm never knows I exist because things go smoothly and everyone remains as friendly as they possibly can. No bridges are burned and you know, you just move on to the next chapter. And the great thing is when you do that, then referrals come back. You know, that attorney leaves with a really good feeling about it and says, well, if I ever have a conflict, I'm going to send it to my old firm. That's how you want this to go. And I think knowledge is power. And so I would just encourage law firms, dedicate somebody to formalizing the process, making it, this is the protocol that we follow. Because oftentimes where emotions get heightened, I think it's because there's not a protocol in place as to how we typically deal with this. Yeah. And so I, that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's great. And so this goes back to a number of conversations I've had with attorneys on the show, especially ones around, around operations and management, you know, that you should have standard operating procedures for exiting, for onboarding, for how work gets delegated. And most firms just don't. They don't have the right things in place. So, so it's, a, it's still like the Wild West shooting up in the air routine versus having things more regimented. No, I, I think that's right. And in a situation like this that can be emotionally charged. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's often viewed as one of the members of our family is leaving. And so I think to the extent that there are standard operating procedures in place, that helps keep everyone's emotions on a more even keel note. And I find that if we can keep emotions de-escalated, the departures tend to go a lot more smoothly for both sides. Yeah. Well, that's a great, a great place for us to kind of wrap things up from a standpoint of, and I'm trying to remember if you had submitted a game-changing book, there's a little thing we do at the end. I'm not even, oh, here it is. No, I'm not even seeing it on your form, but is there a book that you absolutely love that would help lawyers either in this area or just a book that, a business book that you just, that you really love? So it's funny that you mentioned that, Steve, because my aspirational goal has always been to write a book about this very thing, because I am not aware of one being out there that sort of tells you the do's and the don'ts. So let me get back to you on that in a couple of years and then see if I can pitch my own book. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, we should talk after we, after we hit stop on the record, because I've got at least two or three different friends in the, you know, the business book helping. Yeah, I even spoke to one today. So to knock out a book is easier than it's ever been. I've knocked out four, but, you know, just bra a little self-brag there, I guess, but no, but it's never been easier. So that we'll, we'll talk offline about that. I've got some really good connections for you there. If people want to get in touch with you, Tina, because they, they get how important it is to be protected and to make sure they do this the right way, what, what are the best ways for them to, to reach out to you? Sure. They can get a hold of me simply by calling the office at 312-977-4482. 
or email me. I never go anywhere without my phone or computer at tbsolis, S-O-L-I-S, at nixonpeabody.com. Yeah, and we'll throw all that in the the, uh, show notes. And just before we wrap up anymore, we got to, of course, thank our wonderful sponsors. We've got Legalese Marketing, helping to automate your marketing, take it out of your hands. We've got Money Penny doing the virtual receptionist and the uh, live chat on your website. And of course, Practice Panther, which is quite frankly, the easiest way to get a practice management system up and running. If you're a solo small firm, uh, you're going to want to talk to Practice Panther. Tina, thank you so much. This has been this has been wonderful. And I think the lawyers that are listening have either made a move, they haven't made a move, they will make a move. But what you shared today is just so critical. And I just hope that uh, you know we can continue to you know stay friends and continue to chat. And you know I'm happy to send people your way because lawyers, quite frankly, tell me a lot. <laughs> in many cases, they're leaving. They've got a recruiter, but they don't have you. And I think they must they need to have you in their corner too. Well, thanks, Steve. I really enjoyed being on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. 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 And uh, listen, everybody, just another opportunity to take in some really good information and and, uh, content on what does it take to get prepared to make a move. And for some attorneys, they've already done it. They're on their own solo. But, you know, hey, you may also move laterally at some point. You never know. A lot of people doing that. But uh, it's just helping you to be that lawyer, someone who's confident, organized, a skilled rainmaker. Everybody take care, be safe, be well. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Visit Steve's website, fretson.com, for additional information and to stay up to date on the latest legal business development and marketing trends. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out today's show notes.